Today's scripture reading is from Revelation 3, 14 to 22, the message to the church in Laodicea. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness an ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and true from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to see, Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Betty. Thank you, Betty, for reading the word to us today. And I would say it's good to see you. It's been a couple years since I've really seen you. Uh, But nice to have you here, nice to be seen and to see and to hear. Let's stand together. Can I lead us in a word of prayer this morning? Father, uh, thank you for these moments that we have uh, to remind us that... uh, Wherever a few people are gathered, two or three, you say, that there you are. And Lord Jesus, as you walk among us today, we pray that you would be the center, the very heart of this church, be the Lord of this church. We are so grateful for uh, this Southwest community, for all of our babies and our preschoolers and our elementary and our junior hires and senior hires and young adults and families and seniors. Lord, we're grateful uh, for this mix of people. And uh, Lord, today we just thank you for Southwest, people who are praying and people who are serving. We remember Diane Shabuk uh, today as she uh, faces so courageously her cancer. We ask that even today as she watches uh, this program online, Lord, that she would know that she is loved and that we come alongside of her. We pray for Avery Dewberry and thank you that uh, she is home from surgery and recovering. And Lord, uh, we ask that you would give her grace and courage and renewed perseverance for her journey. And for Michelle Williams, thank you, Lord, that she is stronger And we pray that you will continue to encourage her and bring her through these difficult days. Oh, Lord, our hearts are, are broken for suffering people. 
Our hearts are broken for our families that are separated in Ukraine. <clears throat> our hearts are broken for all the refugees, <clears throat> two million people on the move. And Lord, our, our minds just struggle to conceive the evil that is delivered to others. Your word says, behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. Oh God, be merciful. The responsibility that is ours is immense. Every leader of every country has an immense responsibility. We pray, Father, turn back the, the opposers and the oppressors. Bring liberty and hope once again to the people of Ukraine. Lord, now thank you for your word. May we tuck it in our hearts. May we be encouraged in our journey with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, may I begin this morning with something that's not very pleasant. I know you say, what do you mean? Well, this is kind of a yucky story. Uh, there were just a few times uh, as a kid growing up in our families that I heard my father throw up or vomit. I told you it was. When he got sick and threw up, I heard him in the washroom, and he was loud, 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 and very loud. And his stomach was telling him to let it go. Somehow for him, it wasn't that simple. He had trouble doing that. He had more noise than real action. <clears throat> and I remember thinking as a kid, is he going to expire? He just bellowed. This huge roar went through the whole house, and it scared us kids. So we were small, like, we looked at mom like, what is happening? The man is dying. <laughs> no, he's fine. She just smiled. He's fine. And he was just doing something that everyone does when we get sick. We just have to throw it up, just that he couldn't seem to do it. Okay, there's my story. That's it. Well, who would ever expect to have the subject of vomiting underlined in the Bible? And who would ever expect that Jesus himself would raise the subject? You can use as many nice names as you want to describe the normality of this term. Puke, regurgitate, throw up, barf, emesis, wretch, spew out. Chunder, that's Australian. Lose one's lunch. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> or hyperemesis. Uh, but it, none of those terms are pretty, but it is what it is. So what is the grade? Uh, yeah, yet Jesus determined that this term would fit uh, for the message that he wanted to convey to Laodicea. So it's quite an introduction to the church in Laodicea. 
And I would agree that Jesus has some very robust words for us, for this church. So what we're learning to do, as Doug back there says so often, buckle up. So buckle up once again. This is going to be bumpy. Are you okay with that? Okay, I've warned you. Let's hear the word. Lord, give us ears to hear and allow us to learn and grow and sense that you disclose these things, not to hold us back, not to hinder us, but to move us forward. So if you can understand and process tough words, you'll be okay. Last week, Philadelphia got an A for their ministry. What's the grade for Laodicea? It will surprise Laodicea themselves because they score real low on awareness. They are a bit bit oblivious. Uh, So I'll let you assign the letter grade, and and, uh, I think you'll have a little more red ink than normal on the sheet this morning. First of all, the city. Actually, we know quite a bit about Laodicea. Um, This was Boomtown, Asia Minor. Uh, This is Fort McMurray in its heyday. Notably, it was the banking center of the region. People with a lot of money resided in this area. Oligarchs is the term that we're getting used to these days. Rich people with great influence. That's who lived in Laodicea. And what, what brought them to Laodicea has a lot to do with the location of where Laodicea was, was situated on the trade routes of the day. It's all about location. And the city was famous for its textiles. There was a certain black cloth that was produced in Laodicea that wasn't made anywhere else in the world. And to have a garment made of this black wool was a prestigious thing. Like Matt's new shirt probably said, made in Laodicea. Don't get dizzy. (laughs) It It was famous for the manufacture of a medicine to treat eye problems. Apparently people traveled to Laodicea from all over the world to purchase this tablet, this little rough tablet which you could kind of grind up and put with a, some water, and it became a salve or a paste, and you could put it on your eye, and eyes were healed in Laodicea. It was famous for the treatment of eyes. Secondly, it was in earthquake territory and suffered a very severe hit in AD 17, which just leveled the place and basically destroyed everything. The Roman government stepped in and said, we're prepared to give you X amount of of money to rebuild the city. Do you know what Laodicea said? Thanks, but no thanks. We don't need your money. We're quite capable to rebuild it ourselves. They were rich. That gives you a sense of their interdependence and self-sufficiency. That was an attitude that spilled over and manifested itself in the people and even in the church that they didn't need anyone to help them, maybe not even God himself. Thirdly, Laodicea had a water problem. They didn't have a river close by, as most cities do. When you think of most cities being built these days, it's always by a river. Well, they they weren't located by a river, so they needed to bring their water in, and they didn't have rail or big trucks, so they pumped it in with an aqueduct system made of clay or stone. 
And I think you'll see a little picture. There's, a, there's an aqueduct. And in the nearby town of Hierapolis, there were hot springs. And the water was very, very hot, too hot to drink. <clears throat> so they built a pipeline to Laodicea. But by the time the water got to six miles to Laodicea, the water had cooled off. And it was lukewarm. And there were minerals in the water that flavored it and made it taste awful. So if you boiled your vegetables uh, in that water, it would wreck your dinner. So the hot water didn't stay hot, nor did it get cold. Kind of that tepid taste that none of us really like. We want it either hot or we want it cold. Well, they built another pipeline to Colossae. Remember the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to Colossians. This is the town, uh, Colossae. It's about 10 miles away from Laodicea. And they built a pipeline to Colossae because this city got its water from the mountains, from the melting of the snow. And it was cool and refreshing and tasted wonderful. Think alpine water. I was going to say maybe buble, but uh, by the time the water got to Laodicea, it had warmed up because that's warm country. Uh, the weather is very hot and the water was once again lukewarm traveling all of that distance. So it started off cold, but by the time it got six miles to Laodicea, it was warm. So they couldn't win. It was either hot and got lukewarm or it was cold and it got lukewarm. So Laodicea certainly had a, had a water problem, which eventually, over many years, caused the city to relocate to another place. Secondly, the church and the message. Did you ever have a conversation with someone and you could see that they were, they were blind to some things that seemed really obvious to you? It's like, don't you get that? But somehow, because they'd lived in that situation for so long, or gradually over time, they just couldn't see themselves clearly anymore. It's called awareness. They lacked awareness. They lacked perception. They had lost the ability to discern what was up. Uh, years ago, I, I had an experience driving late at night with a trailer behind and uh, driving on roads unfamiliar to Marg and I. We were around, around Thunder Bay somewhere. We had a U-Haul behind us. We were traveling as 26-year-olds off to our first pastorate in the Ottawa Valley. And along with it being very dark, and it was about midnight, and we were still driving, and it was raining buckets, and it was so black. And I had this most unusual experience. I lost my perception of what was up and what was down. That was a very weird experience. I've never had it since. But I was braking going uphill. And I was accelerating going downhill. And I knew I lost it, and I couldn't get back to normal. It was the most eerie sensation, and we were so glad to pull off the road and grab a motel that night, <laughs> $7 a night for that hotel. So we got, a, we got a deal there. But that was the church in Laodicea. They lost their way. They lost perception of where they were in their journey with Jesus. They were confused, and they didn't know it. They were missing awareness. They were missing a sensitivity to the Jesus that they had invited into their lives. They were on the road and didn't realize that things had shifted. 
Now, Jesus has a word for the Laodiceans, specifically the church, and it's a tough word. It's a hard word. I would say it's even a harsh word. Um, in fact, how do you absorb a, a hard word spoken against you? Uh, I don't think any of us are pros at that. Uh, it hurts. It always hurts. Uh, and I'm so sorry that I hurt you two weeks ago. I'm, it's all gone as far as the east is from the west. Well, truth hurts. What really takes the sting out of a strong word spoken against us is the awareness that that person loves us. Now, even though that may be hard to hear some strong words from them. It is definitely easier if you know the person loves you. Now, Jesus doesn't hold back. Here's what he says. I know all the things you do that you were neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. What did they lose? They lost their edge. They lost their passion. They lost their heart. Call it compromise. Call it self-indulgence. Or simply call it self-sufficiency. Let's just call it that, self-sufficiency. Now, we certainly know where Jesus gets his water image from. Uh, he is the master of using the contemporary to make his point. And remember all those parables that he told in the Gospels? He used very relevant things. He used a, a tree, or he used a field, or he used sheep, or he used some image to make his point. And here he uses the image of being neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. And it's the reality of the whole town of Laodicea. Everybody would get that. Their water supply was piped into the town, and it was lukewarm. The hot water cooled off and the cold water warmed up. And in the end, tepid, lukewarm. Who wants to drink lukewarm water? We want our water hot, whether it's hot coffee or hot chocolate to follow. Uh, we want it hot. And we want our water cold. We don't want to drink warm water. Jesus runs an ECG on the heart of the Laodicean church. He's been measuring their life. He's been measuring their words. He's been measuring their relationships. He's been measuring their work habits and their focus on prayer and what they spend their money on and how they behave in their community. And it's hard to note where you're coming from, he's saying to them. It's really hard to, to figure you out. You're not hot and you're not cold. You go through the motions, but where is the passion? Where's the energy? Where's the heart desire? It's just not there. Doing stuff, yeah, doing stuff. But save your breath. I can tell you, you're not really there. What you're doing is repulsive, and it makes me want to throw up. Your spiritual condition makes me lose my lunch. Whoa. <laughs> Who could ever get away with saying that? Uh, to you or to me? I mean, who would we be willing to take this from without getting up on my high horse and saying, well, let me tell you about you. If you're pointing at me, you think you're so high and mighty? Well, I got a few zingers for you. And in the flesh, I would do that. But look who says it. 
Look who says it. A God who hates me. No, not a God who hates me. A God who loves me. A God who wants the best for me. A God who's pulling for me all the way. Okay, so I lower my defenses and I say, well, what, Lord? What do you see? Tell me. And he sees that the water that is piped in changes temperature on the way. That the water has assimilated to the air around it. That the cold water is no longer a refreshing drink of alpine water. And the hot water with minerals in it isn't good even for a soak in the hot tub. Do you ever get in a hot tub that is barely warm? That's disappointing. He sees that in Laodicea, but what's more concerning, he sees it in the heart of his people, the followers of the way, his children. And on the way of life, he's telling us that the temperature changes. The life of the Christian assimilates to the air around us. And as we travel through the world, through real life, through our culture, through our wars, and through our environment, they all do a number on us. I can't help but think that Laodicea perhaps has the strongest admonition of all the churches, in spite of, in spite of some of the other churches dealing with idolatry, sexual immorality, and denying the uniqueness of Christ, and so on. This one is tough for Jesus. What's behind the words? He said, I wish you were one or the other. Hot or cold, be one of them. Now you ask, where's this coming from? Well, it's coming from verse 17. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I need. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's what's breaking the heart of Jesus. Don't miss this. I mean, he has a reason to be so animated and to be so strong and so dismayed with this church. It's because you say you're well healed. You're affluent. You have need of nothing, which really means reading between the lines that you don't even need me. That's what Jesus is saying. You don't even need me. Years ago, uh, the author... Wilbur Rees penned an interesting paragraph when he wrote, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to, to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love someone out of my station in society. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. And the Laodiceans would have agreed. Just $3, please. Not too much of him. Just what I need, a better car, better home, office on a higher floor. And they actually had the money to buy themselves all the things that they needed and didn't need. In fact, their spirit was still inclined that way after the devastating earthquake. They told the Roman Empire, keep your money. We can do this ourselves. We don't need your money. It's an old, old problem in Scripture. It's called the danger of affluence, crowding out God. Affluence uh, is such a good thing 
And such a bad thing, such a hard thing. It's very hard for many to carry the full cup of affluence. When you walk through most days and you have no need, and you don't even mean to, but when you don't have a need, gradually you lose that dependence upon God. It just happens. It just happens. Thank God for those who are really on guard for this and say, everything is yours all the time. All the time, Lord. Whatever you have need of it and you take it from me, then it's yours anyway. But while I'm here, I'm just a manager. It sounds a lot, a lot like what God said to the Israelites when he brought them into the land of Canaan, remember? And he said, you're going to come into this new land and it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to, be, you're going to encounter uh, new people, new towns here, and you're going to see grape vines and delicious grapes. And, and God said, you're going to find the land to be rich, and you're going to see that there are houses there that you can live in that you did not build, and all of the affluence that they would find in this new land. And he said, be careful about that, because it will be easy to forget the Lord your God and get involved in the day-to-day -day prosperity of the land. And sure enough, they did. They did. Joseph Stoll, who is the, used to be the pastor of uh, Moody Bible in Chicago, I think he's the president of Cornerstone University right now, he said, in relationship to the hardships of Christians in China, we used to pray that God would release the Chinese followers of Christ from persecution. But the leaders of the church in, in China said, please do not pray for God to release the prisoners from prison. Pray that we will be faithful in the persecution because when we're under persecution, when we're impoverished for Christ, we thrive in Jesus Christ and it drives, it drives us to him. And he said, we hear that in Beijing and Shanghai that the influence of the church is weakened because the affluence starts to move Jesus out of those rich cities to the edges. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Wow, Jesus. And here's the invitation. So I advise you to buy gold from me gold that's been purified by fire, then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments for me so you'll not be ashamed by your nakedness, an ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Jesus said, if you want gold, then you ought to buy it from me. Remember, Laodicea is the banking capital of this area. Need to go to the bank and get some money? If you have a good credit rating in Laodicea, can probably get the money you need. In Canada, if you go, you probably pay another quarter percent these days. And you'll empty your wallet at the gas pumps. We're almost going to need a loan. In fact, I saw on Facebook the other day, there's a little cartoon that was expressing the happiness of this man because his loan was approved at the bank. And somebody said, what do you need a bank for, or a loan for from the bank? He said, I got to go and fill my gas tank. <laughs> I think that's about it. But Jesus says, buy from me. He has all the church really needs to function. You're all I need, we sang this morning. He, he, he's all you need. Why are you looking for someone else? Why are you looking somewhere else? 
All of us appreciate this space at the rugby club. It's really been good, so good to be here, and we can continue to stay here. Would we love to have our own church building? Yes, we really would. I, uh, and that's not wrong, but what do we really need? What we, what we really need is the same as Laodicea. We need gold, white clothing, and eye salve. And sure, a building would be nice somehow, sometime. But the priority is those first three things. Then when it's time, the Lord will open up a door for a building. He always has the perfect timing. But first, we need God's gold. We need the gold that's been purified by fire. And Peter interprets that for us in his first letter, that these trials will show that your faith is genuine, that it's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. We're all very cautious about suggesting that we are suffering for the Lord. Oh, mine, everything in my life seems absolutely nothing compared to Ukraine. We're not sure if we're up for that kind of suffering. We've heard a little bit about how the church in Ukraine is praying and worshiping wherever they can find a safe place. Gold refined by fire. That's spiritual wealth. That's the riches that come with travail and anguish. That's the wealth that comes with suffering. Watch those who are quietly suffering for Jesus. They have a spiritual depth about them that they wouldn't trade for any other kind of gold. Suffering brings all of the impurities to the surface so it can be dealt with. And every time you make an important decision to say yes for Christ, it may be costly. It may be another way of getting refined in the fire. And then white garments, buy white garments from me, says Jesus. Uh, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. It's not our white robes. These are the white robes of Jesus. This is Revelation chapter 7, that we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. This is our completeness. All this in comparison to the black wool that was produced in Laodicea. Then I salve. Uh, buy ointment for your eyes so that you'll be able to see. Jesus said they needed something for their eyes so that they could have vision and see where they're going and sight so they can perceive the reality of their world. And they came from all over the world. They came to Laodicea to get the eye salve that they would be, their eyes would be healed. Their eyes would be anointed with this salve and it worked and that's why they came. Friends, we, we pray for an anointing of God. I've been praying this week that, that when we meet together, that there would be an anointing of the Spirit. Do you know what that means? We might think it means emotions, stirred emotions and tears at the altar. And it might. That, could, that would be a byproduct. But everywhere in Scripture we have mention of an anointing of the Spirit which always in part means to open the eyes to understand the truth of God. To understand the truth of God. So for as, you, as for you, John says, the anointing you received from him remains in you 
And you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, then remain in him. The anointing of the Spirit is when our eyes get opened, open to see. It's the salve of the Holy Spirit that's applied to our eyes so we can see. This is a brilliant prayer to pray for people in our lives including ourselves when we don't see very well, we ask the Holy Spirit to touch them with his healing ointment of salve. And with that anointing comes sight and understanding of our reality. This church was going on its merry way day after day, year after year, and they weren't seeing. They were blind. They had spiritual cataracts. And Jesus said, if you ask me for a vision, I'll give it to you. If you pray, Jesus, open my eyes, I will open your eyes. If you have a heart to say, Lord, take away the blinders on my eyes, I will take the blinders from your eyes so you can really see. Friends, this is such an important prayer to be praying for those who you are concerned about to cross the line of faith and to be followers of Jesus. What is it that holds them back? Oftentimes, it's their blindness. You know that as well as I. I have no need. I can make it on my own. I'm good where I'm at. I've never sinned. Really. I'm spiritual. I just see it differently. You take your path. I'll take mine. Paul says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. And that blindness is removed by the anointing of God. It's the opening of blind eyes. It's a work that only Jesus can do. We can talk ourselves blue in the face. It's a, it's a work that only Jesus can do. So it's more, most important to pray for anointing, meaning the opening of eyes. And how about anointing for us as his own people? Pray for anointing of our eyes that we might be able to discern well the road in front of us. Discernment is one of the most necessary and awesome gifts for the church. And there are those among the Southwest who have amazing discernment. They hear God. And they know his voice. They listen and they discern. And Father, raise up many with this precious gift. It's such a precious gift. Now, if you thought this was a harsh word... You'll be comforted by what comes next. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Have you ever experienced a pretty hard confrontation with somebody, maybe a parent, and then when it was over, they put their arm around you and they said, okay, now let's go on. I love you. I love you. I loved you too much not to deal with this. But now let's start again. And that's Jesus to the church in Laodicea. You have to know I love you. And because I love you, I discipline you so that you can recalibrate your life. Finally, the promise. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. I know we often use this verse to encourage one another to step across the line of faith. 
and come into a new relationship with Jesus Christ because it's a beautiful picture that way. However, you can see that the context here is a little different, that Jesus has been talking to the church, to his own church, and you realize that Jesus wants back into the church at Laodicea. Really? Is that how Jesus is feeling? He's outside his own church? How devastating to find out that Jesus has stopped attending your church. He's no longer a part of it. And the church has just been operating on its own. He'd like to be invited back in to be the heartbeat of, of, of your church. And Jesus promises that the fellowship can return. He would love to be invited back into the church. He would love for the church to hear his knocking and hear his voice and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Wow. We have forgotten you. We closed the door on you. And we thought we could pull it off. But we can't. And we need you. And Jesus says, if that's your heart, I'll come in. And we will share life together. We will, we will fix all of this. We will share a meal. That's fellowship together. And we will be the empowered church with Jesus as the focus and the head of the church. And then he invites them to reign with him. He also said that to Thyatira, remember? Jesus said, I overcame and I sat down on my father's throne. Now it's your turn. Overcome and you will sit with me on my throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Okay. How's the temperature of your heart? Do you say, I don't need a thing? Or do you say, I need you desperately, Lord? Do you believe God is against you? Or do you know he's for you? Is Jesus knocking on your heart's door? Has he been excluded? Or do you vibrantly invite him into fellowship with you every day? We share a meal together as friends. Let's stand together. Lord, we want to answer yes, yes, that we're not cold and we're not lukewarm, but we're hot. And the spiritual temperature is heating up as we walk with you. Lord, we want to answer yes, we are desperately needy. We don't have everything we need. We are in great need of your life in us. And Lord, we want to answer forgive us if we have lived so as to exclude you from our lives, we say, yes, yes, come in. The door is open. Come in and fellowship with us. Come in and help us know you better. And thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for loving us enough to guide us and redirect us. It's the sign of your care. So, Lord, build your church in these days for your honor And for the blessing of your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.